Good morning. Would you please stand for the reading of the word? This is the word of the Lord. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who, are, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas again. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we give you thanks for this Christmas, uh, the Sunday after Christmas, where we get to uh, think once again about who Jesus is and why we think his birth is important. Uh, please bless our time together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we've been doing over the course of Advent and into these next two Sundays of Christmas is focusing our attention on Jesus. Uh, at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and so it makes sense for us to take some time and actually look, what does the Bible teach us about who Jesus is and why he came? What are the things that we can learn from Jesus? And, and the particular way that we're doing that is we're taking this opportunity to look at a handful of passages in the New Testament that tell us that Jesus has made something for us. And by doing that, what we're doing is we're seeing this full-orbed picture of who Jesus is, all of the different reasons why we think he's worthy of, we think it's important to celebrate his birth at Christmas time, but not just his birth, his life. Uh, and in a few months, you know, Easter comes and we celebrate his death and resurrection. Uh, so what we've done is we've looked at 2 Corinthians 5, and we saw that Jesus was made sin for us. And there we saw that he died on the cross and he took the penalty of sin for us. Then we looked at 2 Corinthians 8 and we saw that Jesus was made poor for us. And there we saw that, that he was rich and the riches that he had was his relationship with the father. And he became poor by adding humanity to his deity. Uh, and he does that in order for us to be able to have the riches he had, which is a relationship with the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at Philippians 2, and Bill, uh, one of our elders, preached on that passage, and there he focused in on Jesus being made a servant for us and how God uh, chose him to, to be a servant by dying on the cross for our sin. Then we looked at Hebrews 1, and we saw that Jesus is not just a crucified Savior. He is the reigning king. Uh, and as the king, he's seated on the throne, and when he sits on the throne, God gives him an inheritance all of everything in heaven on earth and under the earth is his inheritance. It's rightfully his. And then he shares that inheritance with you and me as the king. Uh, he adopts us as daughters and sons. And in adopting us as daughters and sons, we, we get a share in the inheritance. And then today we see from Hebrews chapter two that Jesus was made man. He takes on our humanity. And Jesus takes on our humanity so that he can free us from death help us in our suffering, and then allow us to help other people in the midst 
of their suffering. So Jesus, we're going to be doing the same thing we've, we've done, I've done in all the sermons in the series. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus for us, Jesus in us, and Jesus through us. So the three points are going to be these. Jesus uh, takes on humanity for us. Jesus works in us to free us from the penalty and the power of sin and fear of death and the power of the devil. And then Jesus works through us to let other people know uh, how awesome Jesus is. All right, so those are our three points. Um, now, the first thing that we see as we jump in the passage, and I encourage you this, again, like the, these, some of these texts are just chock full of things. We're gonna be looking at them again and again and again. So if, you're, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open your Bible so that you can look in there, make notations, things that jump out at you. So Jesus becomes human. Uh, and that means in part that he takes on our physical condition. We see this in verse 14. Since the children, that's, that's you and me, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Jesus had a body. Jesus had blood. Jesus got sick. If Jesus lived today, he would be susceptible to COVID. That's how human Jesus is. He is 100% man. The, the church has struggled with that early on because there were people that thought it, it's weird to think of God becoming a man. But, but the church looked to passages like this to say, no, this is actually what scripture teaches us. Jesus not only became a man physically, however, he also becomes a man by experiencing our condition. And this is what we see in uh, verses 17 to 18. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Again, that's you and me, fully human in every way in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And then listen to this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus suffered as a human being. Jesus was tempted as a human being. Now, you probably, if you're thinking about the temptations of Jesus and the sufferings of Jesus, there's probably, if you've grown up in the church, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's some passages of scripture that probably really easily come to mind. Uh, and, and what I want us to do is I want us to zero in our focus because I think that the, the, not to diminish other places in scripture where Jesus has suffered and is tempted, but uh, to specifically, I think what the author of Hebrews wants us to focus in on is the events around Jesus's death because he just talked about Jesus being made atonement for us. And that's a, a, an important word about Jesus's a death on the cross, making a payment for sin. Uh, and so I think what the focus needs to be for us here primarily, not exclusively, is what happens to Jesus around the time of, of his death. And so you remember the story, and if you don't know the story, let me give it to you briefly. Uh, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and John 12 tells us that even before he had gone to celebrate the last meal that he would have with his disciples, the Passover celebration, that Jesus already had the weight of his death on his heart. Uh, and then we fast forward to after the meal, and Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane with his friends. Uh, and as he is in the garden, this is what we read, Matthew 26. Uh, Jesus went in with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Uh, and he said to them, sit here while I go over and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, 
uh, along with him, and he began uh, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, "My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me. Stay here and keep watch with me." Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, "My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will." Jesus suffered. I don't know what you're going through. We just had Jackie come up here and pray uh, for for those who are grieving. This is a time of year where many people grieve because of the loss of loved ones. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's the way you're suffering. Maybe there's other ways that you're suffering. Jesus understands your suffering. Like that's how human He is. That's why the message of Christmas is so comforting. And so here Jesus says he, He's being He's suffering under the weight of what is about to happen. And he's calling out to the father. And then we, we switch to the next day and we see where the temptations come in. The temptation comes on the cross. Remember last week, we talked about how Jesus was tempted in the, in the other place you see where Jesus is tempted, right? In the, in the wilderness, right after his baptism, uh, that Satan comes in and he says, hey, I got an idea. I got a shortcut for you. I've got a way for you to get everything that's yours without having to die on the cross. Uh, and really here, this is, while it's not coming directly from Satan, uh, this is a very similar type of temptation. Uh, Jesus is being tempted to do something that is totally within his power to do, right? Uh, you couldn't come to me and say, hey, Omar, I, tempt, I dare you to go fly to Miami by flapping your wings. Like, I can't do that. It's not physically possible. But if you know that I'm uh, trying to cut down on sweets and you give me a really delicious key lime pie, you're tempting me to do something. Now, you know my weakness. Um, you're tempting me to do something that's within my power. I can, I can put that key lime pie in my mouth. So when we read in, in, uh, in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, it says, those who passed by him hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, he said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Uh, for he said, I am the son of God. You realize that, that Jesus was able to do everything that they were tempting him to do. And he didn't do it. Why? Because by dying on the cross, he was making atonement for our sin. So the first point is that Jesus becomes fully human. All right, he, he's, he takes on our humanity 100%. Physically, right, he dies. Uh, but experientially, he knows what it's like to suffer and to be tempted. So then our second point is that Jesus' death for us, it frees us from the power of sin and from our enemy, the devil. Uh, read with me again, verse 17. This is earth-shattering stuff to me. I, I just think this is amazing. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every, um, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So the first thing that we see is that Jesus becomes a man in order to pay for our sin. And this was the plan all along. So it's Christmas time, right? What, what is the story that we read at Christmas time? It's the, it's the story of Jesus's birth. Uh, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Joseph finds out 
that his fiancee Mary is pregnant. They're not married yet. And so he is, a, he is a gracious man. He is a compassionate man. And so the scripture tells us that he was going to uh, very quietly deal with the situation. He wasn't going to marry her, but he wasn't going to make a big fuss about it. He wasn't going to make a big scandal about it. Uh, and, and we don't know the whole story, but you can imagine, can't you, the, the confliction of emotions that Joseph must have had. And then an angel appears to him and says this, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because what? He will save his people from their sin, right? There it is right from the beginning. The reason he's named Jesus is because he is the savior. He's the one who's going to come and represent God and make atonement for sin. And so when Hebrew says, this is what he's supposed to do, Hebrews is just going back to, to the, the, what the angel said. This is, this is why Jesus comes. But that's not the only thing that's happening on the cross. On the cross, th- this little small baby who is born in a manger uh, that we celebrate at Christmas time, he's a warrior. Uh, he, he is a, a great king who comes in order to defeat a dragon. And that's what's happening on the cross. Uh, You see, what's happening on the cross is that a cosmic battle is taking place. Far, a far greater consequence than any battle war that you and I have ever studied in a history book. Because on the cross, this is what we read according to Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, listen to this, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is why John, Jesus says in John chapter 12, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. This is why Paul can say in Colossians 2, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I know it's like past Christmas, and I know that you're like still in your like post-Christmas slog and like food bellies, but that's like an amen kind of statement. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Jesus is the king who comes down to earth, and what he does on the cross is he fights the dragon. He defeats the dragon so that you and I no longer have to be fearful of him if we have faith in him. John Owen was a a 16th century pastor, uh, and he wrote eight volumes of commentary on the book of Hebrews. So he spent a lot of time studying Hebrews. Uh, And he said this, he asked this question, how is it that Satan is defeated on the cross? And he said this, he says, Satan's obligation, Satan's power over us hinges on the penalty of sin in our lives. As long as we still have that accusation of sin, Satan has power over us. But once that's taken away, he says this, now, with reference to the children for whom Jesus died was done in the death of Christ. 
virtually in the death itself, actually in its application, when the sinner ceases to be a slave of death, Satan's power is broken. Amen? That's what Jesus has done. That's what the cross is about. And so then Jesus, now here the thing is, right? you look at just the cross and what happens? Jesus dies. That doesn't seem like much of a victory, does it? Right? Like you lose. What happens? He rose and rises again from the dead. But that's not the end of the story. Remember, what did we say last week? It's not just that Jesus rose again from the dead. It's that what happens next? He ascends into heaven and he just doesn't go up to heaven. He's like, hey God, I'm back home. How's it going? Nice to see you. What does he do when he gets to heaven? He sits on the throne, right? So Jesus is the warrior king who comes and defeats the dragon. He defeats the dragon. So the dragon has no more power over you if you trust in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So this is what we've seen so far. First, Jesus takes on our humanity. He becomes fully human. It, he really died. He really bled. He really suffered. And so in our weakness and in our frailty and in our need and in our suffering, Jesus knows. Jesus understands. Jesus loves us in the midst of that. He gets it. But it's not just that he's this empathetic guy. He comes in and he does something about it, right? He dies on the cross. He enters into this cosmic battle in order to defeat the dragon. And in defeating the dragon, his power over us is broken. Amen. Now, what does that mean for us? How does then Jesus work through us in order to make this good news possible? Um, I've been thinking a lot this week about this passage in Ephesians chapter six. You might be familiar with it. It's commonly referred to as the armor of God passage. Uh, And in this passage, you'll notice that two words that Paul uses in the Colossians two passage that I just read you show up again. Uh, Paul there says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, So as you and I engage in the world, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He covers all the bases, right? He covers all the bases. And he says, this is what Jesus came to do. I I want you to think about, I want you to go back do that this week. Go back and read the gospel of Mark. It's the shortest one, so it's, it's not that hard. And I want you to notice how often Jesus is battling demons in the gospel of Mark. It's really striking. And then I want you on top of that to look at all the times that Jesus heals somebody, brings somebody back from the dead, shows compassion to somebody, And what I want you to realize is that in every single one of those situations, Jesus's battle was not against flesh and blood, but is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our problem is that we we have been educated by the Western world not to believe in the spiritual realm, right? Uh, you, You have been taught well that spiritual things, that's for people who don't believe in science. Lamansana is a Gambian, was, he, he passed away a couple years ago. Lamansana was a Gambian theologian and uh, a missiologist, someone who studies the, the mission of the church around the world. 
uh, who, who was a professor at Yale. And he wrote a book called Whose Religion is Christianity? And he makes this really fascinating comment. He says, you know, one of the, one of the realities is that when an African comes to the United States, uh, that, that they, they welcome some, but not all of who they are. Uh, he says, if, if he said that he's talking, he's like, if I send someone to, from Africa to Harvard, to Yale, to Princeton, to Oxford, to Cambridge, to UCSD, um, they, they're going to go and they're going to be like, oh, yes, bring your food, bring your art, bring your culture, bring your music, bring your dress, bring your customs, because we, we love diversity. But what ends up happening is that the second a, an African worldview begins to play itself out, it begins to get crushed. What does he say? Listen to what he says. He says, oh, we love multiculturalism. Wear your African dress and eat your African food, but we're going to destroy your Africanness because we're going to tell you that everything has a scientific explanation. But the African mind believes that the world is filled with good and evil spirits. It is a supernatural place. And this is what he said is the beauty of the gospel because the gospel, he says, Christianity comes along and respects my Africanness. It lets me stay African because it says, yes, there are evil spirits and good spirits, but Jesus Christ has overcome the evil spirits and through him, you don't have to be afraid of them anymore. So we need our African brothers and sisters to speak to us on this Christmas morning to remind us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we just, $13,000, that's really amazing, right? $13,080. Can I submit to you that that's not just providing physical chairs for a bunch of kids upstairs? Can I submit to you that by creating a home that we are waging spiritual conflict against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? Amen, right? Can I submit to you that when we welcome refugees that are coming from a war-torn country, that we are fighting against not just the ideology of the Taliban, but that we are fighting against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can I submit to you that when we walk around our neighborhoods and pray, when we disciple one another, when we acknowledge the dignity of a homeless person, that when we work against sex trafficking, that when we support Mike and Casey Force and their children as they're doing mission work in Bundabugio, can I submit to you that when we do those things, that we are not simply operating in, the, in this realm, right? But we're working with Jesus who came here and waged conflict against the evil and brokenness of this world and that we are joining him in this work. Here's the thing though, this, it can be really easy to hear me and be like, oh yeah, we need to go do good. Yes, we do need to go do good. But the church of Jesus Christ is not a social service organization. 
We don't simply do good for the sake of doing good. We do good because we believe that there's a dragon that wants to destroy people. And we want to fight against that dragon. That baby that you celebrated, that little figurine in your nativity sets at home, that sweet little quaint picture that you have on your Christmas cards, don't tame him. He is a king who came in order to win a battle. And he's already won it. He's, it's already happening. And you and I get to join him in that conflict. You and I get to work with him and serve him. And so this year, that's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to continue to serve our community. Not just so that, so that Harbor can be a good social service organization in San Diego. If that's the reason we're doing it, then that's like awful. But because... Jesus defeated the dragon. And in defeating the dragon, he invites you and I to join him in fighting against the dragon, against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. That you sent your son Jesus uh, to be born in a manger in, in weakness and in frailty. Uh, and that he really was a man. He he really uh, he really suffered, he really was tempted. And that he went through all of that in order to rescue us from sin. But more than that, he went through all of that in order to defeat the devil, in order to wage war against the dragon. And we thank you that he has done that for us. And so Lord, help us as we hear what Paul says in Ephesians 6, help us to realize that you've called us to work with Jesus. You've called us to follow him. You've called us to live out the principles of his kingdom. And that means in part, that as we love and serve our neighbor, as we welcome Afghan refugees, as we provide a place of shelter for children who are coming out of, um, out of the prison system, as we do all of these things that we are, we are doing the work of the kingdom. But Lord, prevent us from simply doing good for the sake of doing good. Remind us, but the message of the gospel is that we work to alleviate all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.